Welcome to the Grow Tribe. Hi, I'm Melissa McGowan, and I love that you're choosing growth. In this podcast, we shine a light on the diverse, messy, and real ways that you grow in leadership and life. We reflect, connect, and share what growth means to us. After two decades supporting growth in business, and of course my own, I firmly believe that where you go with your energy, time, focus, money, and precious resources, you actually grow. We're better together, so stay curious, stay awesome, join our tribe, and feel alive. Thanks so much for being here and being part of the Grow Tribe. It would be amazing if you shared this podcast with others at home, at work, gave it a rate and review in Apple Podcasts, and shared any ideas about what you want to hear more about or who you want to hear from. I love to hear your updates. If you're interested in learning about how to become a Chief Energy Officer, you're looking to fuel your impact in, and your performance, could be you, could be your team, have a look at the link in the show notes about where to start. And as always, drop me an email if you're looking for any support or you've got any insights that you want to share on growth. It's melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, at go to grow.com.au. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode, Fashion and Grit to Grow. That's right, fashion and grit to grow. Now, they may be an unlikely match, but they certainly make a great outfit. So today, we're going to be talking about building a business and building a business over the long term fueled by a strong conviction and confidence built from a really early age, which is really quite unique. So today we chat growth with an experienced and inspiring business owner whose journey has been just as colourful as her garments. And it's a very supportive and inspiring message for us right now. So quick reminder to the tribe and welcome for those who are new to the Grow Tribe. Please subscribe, feel free to rate and review this podcast. Also a reminder, this week is the final week for sign up for the women's six-week group coaching program that starts really soon. So this is all um, about women learning to receive more structure, support and community to become their own chief energy officers. So that equips them with the mindset, the habits and the resources to take ownership for their energy and their time management. So then we can really maximize what we're achieving meaningfully we reduce overwhelm, we improve our energy, and we enter 2021 with real um, confidence and a toolkit to support us, not sort of crossing our fingers anymore, but shifting towards a more sustainable way of living and working. So now's the time to move if you do want to change things up for 2021, and I would love to have you in the group. Just um, go to www.chiefenergyofficer.com.au or drop me a note at melissa at gotogrow.com.au if you want any details. So last week I woke up and felt like, um, for the first time in a while, getting dressed properly. So I think I was inspired actually by my chat with Kate Dunton um, on the podcast some weeks back where we sort of noted the symbolic nod to work attire to help us kind of cross that threshold from the kitchen to the office and the porous, possibly now non-existent membrane between work and home. So I was looking at a little spiffy and that reminded me that I actually used to really enjoy getting dressed for work. And that's been different. But over the years, one of my really go-to items in terms of getting dressed has been a frock from our guest today, Rebecca Thompson. 
So, in fact, you know, there are many memorable moments that I've been clothed in some of what I call her RT, Rebecca Thompson fashion. That's from, you know, holidays to weddings to lunches, you know, many great moments, uh, importantly, including my own wedding. So as I sit here, once again, in my wardrobe, of course, I can be joined by the gorgeous, colourful garments. I can look around and see them now unique items with beading and pattings, patterns and, you know, full transparency. I'm standing here in my leggings and my Ugg boots looking very daggy this morning. But um, I'm pleased to be joined by Rebecca, who is the founder and owner of her label, Rebecca Thompson. She has a retail boutique here in um, Melbourne, Victoria, and she has an e-boutique as well, which is www.rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A, Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N dot com dot A-U, and I'll put that all in the show notes. Now, I've known Rebecca for a long time, so I'm calling her Beck. Beck launched back in 2000, but like many other business owners, it's a long story, and her backstory, her resilience, her confidence, and her inspiration really make her the brand that she is today. She's such a beautiful example of the power of hands-on experience. A great reminder to us as parents, actually, to encourage and support our kids early on. If they have strong ideas about what they want to do, if they're demonstrating that entrepreneurial streak, and even if it's something that is quite different, you know, than what we thought they would do or what we did, you know, which is particularly challenging when the apple falls far from the tree. But she's a really great role model of getting that hands-on experience and taking that path quite early. She's a role model for breaking into an industry where she didn't fit the said mold and yet she persisted. She really understands intimately what her customers need. She's built a tribe around her over time, including her second family in India She's innovative and she gets scrappy when she needs to, too. A recent metaphor that really brought me joy was when I opened a package from her, which was a beautiful mask she had made, which I later um, come to understand was uh, understood was part of her current pivot. And it was a repurposing of some of her beautiful dresses. So Beck has navigated challenges before, a number of challenges, including the GFC. It's likely that COVID's not the biggest challenge she's faced. She is a reminder about the importance of building diverse networks and it's linked to that hands-on experience, getting out there, getting great work experience early and having broad and diverse networks that really influence your journey. Staying open, she reminds us to stay open and importantly, to just to keep showing up. So I know the tribe have been having wins as usual. Um, they're also getting dressed most days, I think, and showing up most days. A couple of wins from just this last week. Someone spoke to me about a new approach she was taking, much greater communication to her team around clarity of expectation. And no surprise, they loved it, received it and rose to the challenge. Someone else um, made a big decision, and this continues to come up a lot lately. Sorry, getting tongue-tied. Big decisions about um, what they're doing at work and if that's working out for them. So despite it being an unsettling time, misalignment is being bravely confronted right now. Other people are trying new things. I had some great feedback from a um, Grow Tribe member who he said to me, you know, I'm really enjoying listening to all these episodes and even what he called the girly ones. 
someone else took some action after listening to, and I think this is right, episode eight, Burnout to Grow, where I had a really awesome chat with Clear Wallage. And someone listened to that and took action straight away and signed up for the meditation course that Clear uh, mentioned in her in her podcast there. So there are some common traits when we think about successful entrepreneurs. And if you're running your own business, you might be tuning into that right now. If you're not running your own business, you might be tuning into, hell no, I don't want that. But here's a couple that really resonate with me as relating strongly to our guest today. So resilience, first and foremost, resilience. As uh, Winston Churchill once said, success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. And as an entrepreneur and a business owner, I'm learning because I'm, you know, sort of three months into this journey, (laughs) you're going to fail. That is just an unfortunate fact. There's a strong correlation with growth. So while something that um, drastic would be, you know, a lot for many people to bear, and there are days where I ask myself, did I choose this? Yes, I did. You know, the entrepreneur has that real ability to just kind of get up, dust themselves off and not give up, but actually even be motivated by the challenge, by the failure, debrief with themselves, what went wrong? How can I learn from my mistakes and move forward? How can I succeed next time? The second one is passion. How passionate are entrepreneurs? Think about people you know who just talk with such passion and work with such obvious passion in the businesses that they run and own. There's that strong sense of purpose throughout all the kind of trials and tribulations. Entrepreneurs stay connected to that internal passion. And that that can be quite a difference in my view from many of the things that keep us going in the corporate world, which tend to be more external. Um, You know, there's this real sense of being on a mission for a lot of entrepreneurs. And no matter how challenging it gets, it's that internal fire and passion and that motivates them, um, you know, between the paydays and during the times when others tell them, you know, you're mad, um, it's time to quit, go and do something more secure and safe. So Beck and I have known each other for a really long time. Uh, maybe longer than I care to share with you. We went to school together, which means since we finished school in um, Beck has been innovating, (laughs) pretty much serially innovating as a female business owner and entrepreneur. She makes beautiful clothing and really helps women feel amazing. But I know that it's not all been silk and colourful embroidery. You know, you've worked through many limitations, different business models, different cycles, and that was all well before COVID. Reinvention is, you know, the the call of the day at the moment. It's what so many of us are doing right now, and you've done it a lot before. So even actually, even in this house, you'll be you'll be interested to know, even in this house, there's been talk of reinvention and renewal lately. That may be in the form of renewing our wedding vows so that we can have a big party. That's really the excuse. Um, So perhaps we can even talk wedding dresses today too, Beck. Beck, welcome to the Grow Tribe. Thanks, Mill. How are you? I am I'm I'm good. I'm looking forward to the kids going back to school. I've got to say, the six month mark has just rolled around this week, and I've heard from a lot of people in the Grow Tribe that have just said, I've hit my threshold now and I've been feeling really chipper and Stuart and I have been <laughs> feeling great. And then mm-hmm. just this week, it's like, oh. 
Yeah, I'm, I think we're there too at the, at the threshold. So, you know, hearing um, your story today and talking to you about entrepreneurship and building the plane as you fly it is going yeah. to be really helpful for me right now um, and it's going to energise me. So thanks Good. for being here. My pleasure. I'm so thrilled that you asked me. Thanks. And I'd love to make you wedding Be- dress again, by the way. <laughs> For sure. Yes. For sure. You were the easiest person I've ever worked with. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I wasn't a typical bridezilla, was No. I? Oh, not at all. You were fantastic. It was a joy. As evidenced in, in the navy blue, um, you know, beautiful dress. And so, Beth, friends. I. That's the biggest part of that well, story. Exactly, I still exactly. friends. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I have a question that I like to ask people to start with, to really tap into the personal side of them um, straight away, which is when do you feel really alive in your life? Okay. Well, we also talked about it last night. I was having a conversation when you texted me and you said, have a think about this. And it's funny because when I think when I'm most alive is probably when I'm not have a fear or a scare, but it's when the unknown happens and then my senses go into overload. And usually, even though I've been to India 69 times, it is, yeah, it's probably when I get off that flight and I smell the smells and I hear the language and I realise that I'm in not my homeland, even though it is like a second home. It's familiar, but it's not familiar. And it's just, yeah, that's when I know I'm alive. That's when I know that overload of everything around me, the fast, the pace, the smells, the language, everything. And then I just realised, actually, we were talking about it last night and I was thinking also, you know, when you go to a new country and you get off a flight and you don't know where you're going, that's my life. That's my, that's my place. That so you're um you're good with adventure. You're you you must be you know doing quite well right now. Then holding on for the. <laughs> Do you know what though? It's really interesting because I've not wanted to travel for the last two years, and going to the workshop in India has been put off. I've really put it back. It's funny when you're not allowed to go. I want to go, so now I'm desperate to go. Previously, I was like, oh, no, you know what? We can do it from afar. We've been working this way remotely for so long. I just FaceTime in. We talk about the collection. You know, they're like, no, come, come, come. But now suddenly it's all what you want and what you need and everything's changed around and suddenly it's not what, you know, it's, yeah, I'm really missing going to India actually. It's weird, very strange. When was the last time you travelled? I travelled in April two years ago now. Okay. I went to I went to a family wedding. The the only daughter of the people that I work with, who's like my sister, I've known her since she was 15. She's now in her 30s, got married. No one thought she would get married. So I went to be basically her bridesmaid with five days notice. <laughs> so there is an amazing story here um, and I'd love you to take us back and, and just tell us, you know, in your words, however you like, but I know that, that innovative drive um, to try things, to see what sticks, to try something else, the resilience you've demonstrated over the years. I'd just love you to tell us kind of where and how that started and, and yeah, share some stories with us. 
Okay. Well, I think you start from the beginning for me, which was I knew, luckily, that I wanted to be a fashion designer. From the time I was five, that's where I was going to be. So, um, strangely, even with my family uh, being a little bit more academic, particularly my dad, um, I sort of told them, don't worry about my school. I go to school for the social element, but I'll be fine. I can do this and I'll get into fashion and it'll be fine. Well, that's what I thought anyway. So when I decided to finish year 12, we only put the two, like I only put two options in and that was fashion design because there was only RMIT really in Melbourne then. That was the only place to study and also uh, Box Hill doing fine art. Uh, long story short, I got into Box Hill that didn't work for me. I really didn't inter- wasn't interested in oil painting. Uh, I wanted to do colour and texture and make it into garments. So I decided that I would enter or try and enter the fashion industry. So literally 350 or 60 letters later, trying to get into the industry, it was just as the recession was hitting. So... Um, people like David Jones had cadetships, but they just cancelled them. Maya had cadetships, they just cancelled them. I wanted to be interested in, I was interested in buying or just finding a way into the fashion industry. And the, what happened was I would literally get invited on the phone to basically have a job. But when I turned up to the interview, what they saw was not what they wanted. And that was because I was not a size 10. I was a plus size girl. So probably by this stage, I was probably a size 18, 20. And that, I mean, this would not fly now. You know, this kind of thing would not fly. And literally, I would get rejected at the interview. For the, they wouldn't say for being overweight, but they would tell me I wouldn't fit into the clothes. So I just thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Um, and I had had a lot of... I mean, by the time I'd, we'd finished school, I'd already had my first business. I'd had that uh, – I'd sold secondhand clothes at Campbell Market for nearly two years. So I, I, I did have an inkling into – I knew exactly what I wanted to do basically. So long story short, I found someone who did give me a job. I worked in a fashion agency and it was probably the best experience I had ever – could ever have got. Um, my boss was a surfer. He was completely uninterested in the rag trade. He had taken the business from his father, who'd had it for 20 years prior to him taking over. He wanted to go surfing. He lived in Mount Eliza. That's all he wanted to do. And he wanted someone to run that business. And at, I think I must have been by this stage about 19, I came in and they had uh, multiple labels and it was my job to represent those labels. I looked after... I think seven in particular, but I worked in Victoria, South Australia and Tasmania. I would travel and I would find retail boutiques that would be suitable for the collections and it was my job to sell them. And it was the most amazing experience because it let me meet lots of people and I definitely get my energy from other humans. Um, I sold other people's clothes, so I learned a lot about what retail wanted which was really important going forward that I made a collection that would be wholesale 
uh, initially. And also I met lots of people that were designers and as time went on, um, well, let's just say this, I'm also good at selling. So that that helps because this $250,000 label converted in a season to a million-dollar label and so forth and so forth. And I got people telling me what they wanted and I would send the information to the designers. And then over a period of three years, actually, the companies that owned the labels I represented asked me to design collections for them. And so I actually got into design that way. Meantime, I also did study at MIT uh, textiles and merchandising, which also helped obviously, with um, understanding what it means to make a garment and sell a garment and produce a garment. And What I love is that you were doing, you know, you were doing the work <clears throat> at the same time as, you know, maybe doing some study on the side. But a what lot. we I often talk notes. about here is like that experience is yep. just the language of development and that, that hands-on experience. And so often, you know, as parents, I think we can get really tied up in the whole academic thing and I know you know having been an HR director for the years there there really is no direct correlation that I see with you know the path someone took from school and which university they went to and all of that sort of stuff to the leader that I see in front of me and I think it's really good to just hear like you you were literally hands-on hands-on and also Mel I mean I don't know if you know but I literally passed school by five points I mean you did a terrible job. You guys were all so smart, but I that wasn't my game. My game was my social, you know. that That's what I was good at. That's that's who I am. So I love garments and I, I – passion. That makes you good at things, really good at things. But you figured that out like Five. 20 years before yeah. <laughs> yeah. a lot of other yeah. people do. Do you know what though, Mel, I have looked at things lately about what – and it was actually maybe it might be inspired by what you're doing, but what makes my confidence, I've always been, even overweight, I'm quite a confident human being. And if I don't believe in myself, then who's going to believe in me? So I've pushed all the time thinking, I can do this. I can do this. And I'm really grateful now that I'm like supported by a mother, a partner, people, my friends that all think I can too. So when I say something, generally everybody goes, great idea, you know, or yeah, why not? Or give it a go as opposed to, "Mm, I don't know. But, yes, I I think You've got a track record, you know, and I know that it hasn't always been easy. But so when did you decide – Okay, I'm going to do my own thing. What was the path to that? So originally, because I was a plus-size girl, I would have been, uh, I think I must have started Swan and Thompson, which was my first collection, which was plus-size collection. It was only seven pieces and um, that would have been, I don't know, 90, I'm going to say 97 couple of years before I started Rebecca Thompson. So um, best friend of me, so school friend, and we decided that we would do a collection that was something that would fit women, that would make them feel amazing and I guess fit normal, like feel normal. 
even though there, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, people thought that if you were overweight that you were lazy and I just wasn't lazy. I was a really hard worker and, yeah, I worked hard. So I want to show that people could wear collections that were beautiful, that were comfortable, that were interesting and so we started making collections here and as soon as I started, uh, consumers loved it but retailers were petrified of it and because I had a fashion agency background, I could see the fear. They kept telling me, you know, people that are overweight are going to lose weight. That's not what was happening, you know, and they won't spend that money and so it was sort of – we did probably three seasons and it was really hard. It was produced here in Australia. We were put to the back burner because the quantities were low. But I know – and we've actually bought it back a couple of times and we probably will bring it back again at some point um, because – Because, yes, because what are the consumers? I mean, there must be a um, a, a consumer – um, need that can be met there. Absolutely. I agree. And were even early, now. You were we, early to it, right? 100%. It just wasn't accepted. Sometimes that's so hard. Someone does something. I just was talking about that recently. Literally saw someone do something in a business a few years ago. And now, you know, three years later, someone else has done a, a similar thing, slightly different. And that has taken off. You know, sometimes yeah. it's just this timing, timing and being early is sometimes um, hard. Well, often hard. It, it's really interesting that um, in my business now that I can honestly say that probably uh, size 16 and 18s, we produce more of them than we do of an 8 and a 10. Um, I'm probably most well known for that because pe as people get it, they realise that I was a size 22 at my largest and also I'm five foot two. So a five foot two size twenty two is someone that has to learn to dress differently, and I think you're just trying to install confidence in people that you know. the The problem is back back about retailers. Retailers didn't understand; they were petrified, and they still are, to be honest. Mm, and true. continue on because I'm really interested in this link between. Uh, how clothing in this in this case or, you know, um, fashion makes us feel and what some of your insights have been over the years with, with women because I, that's another thing that, you know, I'm really about is flipping this paradigm about, you know, what we're achieving all the time and saying actually the source of that achievement, the sustainable source is actually feeling, you know, we're the so way you want to feel. Them. Like you mentioned confidence, right? So it's like if I want to feel confident – I'm going to go and, and, and I'm going to buy a dress from you because it sounds like, you know, you've got a wealth of experience about how to help that individual woman have something that's going to make her feel more confident, yeah? And then we go and achieve great stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just think there's something amazing about um, when you get dressed, how it makes you feel different. It just does. So, I mean, of course, there's clothes for different types of activities, like you've got your sports clothes. But when you put on, I'm particularly interested in dresses, when you put on an easy piece like a dress, there's no top and skirt matching and you just, I don't know, it just, 
it makes you feel good. The the fabric is soft on your body. You, I, I mean, for me, my point is that you don't want tugging and you don't want to feel uncomfortable and you don't want to have to pull up straps. And like for your wedding dress, you know what? The worst thing in the world is seeing a bride keep pulling up their area, bust area because they feel they're going to be exposed. Everything is about flattering positions of um, waistline and bust line and not, everybody's not the same. That's the other thing. So it's really hard to design a collection. I don't feel like my designs are avant-garde. I feel like my designs are really simple and simple is always good. It's the texturing and the detailing that can make it different. That's, but that's there are some the things that have become synonymous with your kind of brand over the years too, you know, True. intentionally that you've chosen as certain design elements and you've yeah. stuck with. One of the things yeah. that resonates with me having been, a you know, a long-time um, customer is I love the colour. I love the use of colour. That's interesting too. I was thinking about this last uh, this morning that even when I was plus size, I probably did wear a lot of black but, I remember always wearing colourful shoes or a pop of colour somewhere and I used to get a lot of grief. Like actually when I started the collection I was living in Sydney um, and my bus driver every single morning gave me grief for what I was wearing and I I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Like he's like, why are you wearing sequin shoes? And I said because they make me happy. Or one day I was running for a bus and my wrap skirt, like I was wearing pants and a wrap skirt and it was a colourful wrap skirt and it was falling down and everyone was laughing at me and I was thinking, do you know what, if that brings joy, like it's fine, I've got pants on underneath, it's okay. But, you know, colour is what it does to us and that is definitely India. So that is that connection. I definitely think, I do think that I liked colour before this but I don't think I wore colour the way that I wear colour now. You know, hot pink. Talk a little bit, yeah. So the the um, the Swan and Thompson you were saying was made here. Yeah. And then as you set up your own business, you know, you established that relationship with um, an operation in India. So basically the collection that I designed for other people when I was working as a fashion agent Many labels from there were from India. And literally, I got a really fabulous job offer to design for an Indian, uh, for a company that was based in Sydney, but everything was manufactured in India and Nepal. It was low end and it was mass market, but that was my break, my chance. And I had to make a really quite brutal decision to just leave Melbourne. I had a new boyfriend and he agreed to, he wasn't from here either. So we actually, he was in the rag trade as well. So we both decided that Sydney was fine. We'd just start again. So we moved to Sydney and this company really took me under their wing and I worked with another fashion designer. I was designing 400 pieces a season and that is a lot of designs it was children's wear, men's wear, and women's wear. It was bulk production, and uh, we did things for Maya, things like that, where dresses were inexpensive and very simple, uh, cheaper fabrics, just easy. But um, it gave me the experience, and it also gave me the network. 
and the contacts to meet people. And I probably worked for about with maybe eight or 10 different suppliers in India. And there was one woman that I met over my, um, I was with them for two or three years. Um, there's just only one woman actually that I worked with out of all the suppliers, they were all men that owned the companies and there was only one woman and this woman was, again, before her time, had started a business in India in the 80s. She was a woman in business. That that wasn't heard of. That just, that's not India. It is now, but it wasn't then. And she actually understood cut and she understood fabric, whereas the men that I worked with were more based on business as opposed to the actual garment construction. So I worked for this company for years. They actually offered me the business to sell. They wanted to sell it. And I said to them that wasn't what I was interested in. And actually, sadly, that business after 20 years just decided to close. No one wanted to run it anymore here in Sydney. So I lost my job. I was out of a job and I was stuck in Sydney. And then literally the week later, my partner of seven years and I broke up. So... (laughs) And I had started Rebecca Thompson um, probably pretty soon after that as well. So, uh, well, let's just say I lost 40 kilos <laughs> with stress. <laughs> I was thinking that sounds like a lot going on. It was a lot. But you know what? I wouldn't change it for the world. That's, that, that's my journey. That's my tapestry. That's my, you know, that's my experience. It was amazing. So, literally, I... Had I was working, I, I always seem to have multiple jobs, uh, and it's funny how it doesn't change now, right? You're either, you know, the mum. I still have my son who's got his own business now. I'm the Uber driver for him. I've got my own business. I'm like the delivery person. I pack the orders. Uh, you know, anyway, I design the collections. It's ridiculous. Multiple jobs, but um, basically, I'd started Rebecca Thompson, and. This woman was the woman I wanted to work with and I went and saw another fashion designer in Sydney and I was wearing a garment that had been constructed for me when I was a size 22 um, that was hand embroidered and beaded that I had designed, very simple. And the fashion designer in Sydney that I went to have a cup of tea just to catch up and she owned three stores. She loved the piece I was wearing. And literally, this is how Rebecca Thompson was born. She said to me, if I give you an order for that top and that skirt, 150 units of each, could you produce it in three months? And I just said, yep. And I... (laughs) No pause. Yep. (laughs) Yep, yep. And I just thought in my head, this is my chance. You know, that moment where you go, if you don't jump then that's the end. That could have been the end. There would have been no RT. So I didn't And how have cool it. is that, you know, when you, like you say, the tapestry of, of our, we are our experience and, um, you know, the good, the bad, the yeah. easy, the hard, the highs, the lows, but the moments, you know, those standout moments, those little pivot points where you're like, oh, that was a moment. Yeah. It, I'm so grateful. There's a few of those that stand out with the business, you know, like my girlfriend's I'm still so close to all our school friends. And if I didn't have them, they are my business too. You know, that's, this is what I mean about, you know, 
the grow, you know, growing your tribe, it starts from when you're little. That's what I'm hoping my son has the same thing that some of his friends, I say to him, do you think you'll be friends with Billy for the rest of your life? Because we were so lucky, Mill. So lucky. I said it to you the other day. We're so lucky. Anyway, I digress. We, we needed something for being such good Catholic girls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like the cough after. Basically, I took that order. I had no one to produce it. I rang this woman in India who now had been, she had owned a 200-people factory, had worked with some very big labels and without realising, hadn't spoken to her for over 18 months and she had actually closed the factory. She didn't need to work. She, she had a husband who had a great job. Her child was happy. She didn't need to work. And so she decided that the stress levels of running a business was unnecess- unnecessary. And I rang her and said, I would really love you to do this order for me. And I know it's really small because we were producing thousands when I had worked with her. It's 150 units of this skirt and top and you'd made it for me when I was over there last. And and she said, oh, the factory's closed. It's gone. And I said, no, 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 no. And she very sweetly said to me, "Um, listen, I'll help you, but you have to come here. I was like, that was all I needed. Oh, my gosh, someone's going to help me. I'm going to just get on a flight. And so literally within that week, like I said, you know, I broke up with my partner, which was pretty crazy. And I decided that's it. I'm going to India. I'm going. Had nowhere to, you know, stay. And I'd only stayed in five-star hotels. I couldn't afford that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Literally, she said to me, you come. I'll look after you. Anyway, I took a chance. And I got on the flight and I took a taxi to her house and she wasn't at home. And I was like, that's so weird. She mustn't have thought I was coming, <laughs> which is so India, actually, I have to say, which is so funny. So I turn up and her daughter's home from school and she's in the front yard and I'm talking to her and she's like, does mum know you're coming? I'm like, well, yeah, I told her I was coming on this date. And they honestly thought that I was joking. They really did not think that an Australian girl, and what was I? I was 26 by this time, that this Australian girl would get on a flight by herself and come to India. Women also, you know, a lot of business was done by men in India as well, you know, due to safety. I, I mean, I work in Delhi and it's it's a fantastic place, but, you know, you've got to keep your wits about you. So I just don't think people believed that I was going to do it. They did not believe it. So literally she drove in her face, her jaw dropped and I looked at her and I was like, hi, I can't believe it. She's like, I can't believe you came. I said, I told you I was coming. I told you the date and everything. You said I could stay and she's like, okay. Uh, Honestly, she really, it was the most confronting and funny thing ever and we're still now together we still work together so that's amazing but literally well, she, she, she knows you now that you're one of those people that when you say you're going to do something yeah you fuck you fucking well do it <laughs> you know, know it. like that that is what happens so she it knows is. that now yeah and I mean what an amazing relationship there as well so she's like nearly 70 she's 70 next year and I would say one of my closest friends and man 
what a ride we have had together. She even says now with COVID, how are you still going? You're like a cockroach. <laughs> I was like, I know. I know. She's like, you're doing really well. I'm like, no, I'm surviving. That's that's good for the moment. I'm happy with that, you know. But long story short, we basically for three days looked. We did, she did help me. She We looked for people to do the production. No one would do it. And so I said, you said you would help me and you will help me. And the, literally, the, as I'm saying this to her, the doorbell rings and it's her old pattern maker and a tailor from the 200 people factory she used to have saying we're looking for work. And literally that was the moment that we made our workshop. That was it. They came in and I said, I'm ready to go. And we had, there were sewing machines still ready to go that we had them in storage. So there was a, her brother-in-law owns a property next door that's vacant land, but it had a little building on it. We just cleaned it up and that's where we started. And that was the the magic started. Yeah. It's a crazy story. And I mean, you're talking about the current times and, you know, survival, but tell us on that whole journey what other points stand out to you? Because I know there's been a shift to, say, set up your own, you know, bricks and mortar, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, t- yeah. Tell us about some of the other sort of pivot points. Oh, that, yeah. Well, that's interesting journey in itself. So my thing was originally that I started with wholesale, probably because I did have that fashion agency background. So I really, that's what I knew. Um, and I successfully wholesaled for the first probably or definitely for the first seven years we were super strong by 2010 I decided that I wanted to make a dream happen and so we entered the American market as we entered the American market we started trading probably for the first season it was really successful Um, but I have to say man they wanted blood like honestly the people I worked with I had to turn around uh, fully beaded garments that probably took, oh, I would say definitely the beading alone would have taken 24 hours to do, but I had to turn it around in 30 days, a very big order. And my factory, I only have six people that work with me. We just a little workroom studio and everything's done in-house. They worked on shifts. They literally work, we worked through the night to make that order happen. So, I entered the American market, which was all I ever wanted to do. It was fantastic. And then the GFC hit and that wasn't fantastic. (laughs) And actually by that point, we had 81 stores that I was selling to throughout the world. 81 stores, that's bizarre. I know, I just got cold fingers thinking about it. Now, at which point did Paris Hilton wear one of your dresses? That would have been then. So just before the GFC. So... Paris Hilton, you know, that's a funny thing. I know. Who is she now, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But you know that we, you know how we got these pieces to her? She actually wore three things that made it to the media. She wore a yellow dress on Ellen DeGeneres. How interesting at this point that we're talking about that. Um, She wore a dress to like a after Academy Awards or Golden Globes uh, like some sort of restaurant, you know, like a Vanity Fair party type of thing. Mm. And she wore it for, oh, with a new boyfriend. I remember that. But basically we had to, uh, I had an Australian agent that lived in LA and I mean, we're basically bribing stylists. We're bribing stylists in the car park to get it on Paris Hilton. But see, bribery is not so unfamiliar to me because if you work in India, that's also part of your game. 
you know, it's just not the Australian way, but it is part of the, I don't know, budget. <laughs> so I've got I've got so much to learn as a, uh, as a business owner. <laughs> not that part. You don't need to learn that. But you know what? Just so funny. So yeah, we look. I've had amazing things. Like uh, I think um, Muriel's wedding had just come out, and Tony Collette was the first famous person I know that bought my piece. Um, I've, you know, gifted to Kim Kardashian and, uh, you know, we've had really good, but that doesn't mean anything to me. And as time has gone on, it means even less to me because I'm not trying to dress the famous, I'm to dress us. That's who I want to dress. And the more I, I've just stopped all PR with gifting and, uh, if you want my garment, you bloody buy my garment. I've done the work. You, you, no, this is not a free gift, you know. I, 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 the confidence is um, in, in realising that is really important. It's really Oh, and you've totally earned the right to that. And I can imagine like pricing over the years, you know, there's journeys and learnings and but you know you you are um, at, at the peak of your game now, so you've fully earned that right. Well, I do. I think you become very confident on what you want. So literally, we had eighty-one stores. We go into GFC, and I'm not joking; they fall like flies. Um, I stopped wholesaling for a little while, and then actually another school friend of ours, um, you know, who was my bookkeeper, suggested that this trade is just so difficult. Maybe you don't want to do this anymore. And that was a really scary time too. You know, we're talking about highs and lows of our journey and reality, you know, when you look at the numbers, sometimes the numbers are very, very scary. Um, And so especially when other retailers are dying, they they were dying. I'm not joking. We lost in, I think we lost 18 stores in 18 months. And retail now, look at it, the high street, it's scary. And I'm all about boutiques. So literally there was many pivotal points for me opening my retail store. Um, I was told probably that it was time to shut shop and I didn't feel that that was true. I really believed in the product. Retailers were really scared to buy my garments because I had so much colour. Everyone was doing black dresses. That that was the thing. And um, I had to make a decision. And six years ago, I made the biggest, probably it was a massive decision for me because I made a decision to keep the workshop in India going, to believe in myself enough to open my own retail. And I said to my boyfriend, do you know what? Let's make, let's just open. We had done a couple of pop-ups and we'd seen that the, it, it was really positive. And I really, my, you know, I had clothing agents now selling my collections as opposed to selling my own collections. And they were also saying retail didn't want my stuff. So I had to make a decision and make a decision, which was, I believe there is enough people out there that want to wear my brand. And I'm now going to open a shop and I found a store but even finding a store, Mill, I mean, I sat outside that shop for three months every day at different times of the day because it's not in your massive walking traffic area. I purposely put it 
away from the hustle and bustle. I wanted you to be able to park. It's about women's convenience. I want women to be able to park. I want women to feel comfortable walking in and I want it to be a beautiful experience. And we just, I opened this door. I did a pop-up for three months. It was literally, I ripped the carpet off the floor and um, it was a sticky floor. I'm not joking. You would walk on it and go. And thankfully, a lot of people bought the sand in from the beach. So that actually did the resurfacing for us. And I had a trestle table and I just put racks in. The only thing I did, which my partner will never let me forget, is that this was a pop-up for three months with the uh, chance to continue on if I wanted to. I painted the whole front of the shop white, which took us probably a week. And even the person that was lending, uh, you know, leasing me the pop-up said, what you want, you're going to pay for it to be painted white. And I'm like, yep, we're doing it. And they made that little area that had been sitting there for 20 years idle. And I mean, four stores in a row, just sitting, doing nothing which are now all full of retailers because they we've all joined forces and made our own little Brighton area. Um, as soon as I, I opened love it, because what what I heard from you there is, and it's a it's a great um, you know a bit of you're not giving it as advice, but I'm I'm taking it for for entrepreneurs. It's this balance of making decisions and taking that action, you know. And I mean, you've been incredibly resilient you know, through all of this, but you've made, you've leaned in and just kind of made some decisions. And even when they're ones where other people are saying, why are you doing that? That's crazy. But also backup plans. I mean, we painted a white and it's got all these beautiful white windows. And I said to my boyfriend, if it all goes wrong in the first month, we'll just paint the windows blue and we'll make it into a Greek tavern. It'll be fine. Like we can make this work. Ah, it's the belief. Yeah, that's God, what I'm hearing. And that's what we all, you know, that's what, I mean, you know, you've been through challenges and I'm guessing, and you'd correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, COVID in the, in that way is probably not at the top of your list of, you know, the biggest business challenges you've had. Um, and, and I'm just loving the inspiration here around just keeping showing up, you know, um, taking some risks, but that clarity and that underlying confidence and then how that confidence comes through in what you produce as well and the impact that has for your, um, well, they are women, yeah, for your customers. It's interesting though, Mill, you know what? There's, let's face it, there's always going to be negativity around, right? So there's experiences. I've got a story, you know, in the back of my head about one of uh, school parents' mums saying that I was how stupid I was. I heard, overheard her, and you know that inspires me. That inspires me. You know what? I'm going to show you how stupid I am. Guess what? She buys my label now. How about that? Yeah, there you yes. go. Yes. So number one. So you know, there's that. That is from what I say. We were 13 or 14. Then there's the stories that you can't do this. Why can't I do it? Because you don't have a fashion degree and you're a terrible sewer, mm. which is true. I am a terrible sewer. I mean, last time I sewed something, I threw it on the floor and said to my mom, I will never go near a sewing machine again. That's not my, that's not what I'm good at. And that's the funny thing. Creating collections is not about being 
you, you don't have to be all the components. You don't have to be amazing seamstress. But you do need to believe that what you're doing is good and then wear it with pride and then people will go, oh, my God. And that's what a customer does. They put the clothes on and they're like, oh, my God, I've got so many compliments and then they come back. So that, yeah, that, it's, it's that like part, a trust thing. It is yeah. trust. It is trust. So I, I don't know. There's, there's so many other little negative things, people saying that, you know, you can't do the shop, you won't be able to make it. Why, why not? You won't, can't go to India. Who's going who's gonna to do your quantities in India? Oh, I'll just build my own. There you go. I mean, that story is amazing. Little things that come out of India. Six men that work for me. None of them spoke English. They all speak English now, right? Oh, I speak I very that. bad Hindi. Wow. They all, they're our age. They've all had their children really, really young. So their children now are all around the sort of university age. First group of their caste, culture, English speaking, English speaking children. First uh, one of the elder son of one of my pattern maker actually got into medicine last year. Now that is unheard of. No one in his uh, village had even been to university, let alone got into medicine. You know, these are all byproducts of starting something that um, I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. But how, what a story. How amazing. Well, and it truly does take a village, doesn't it? I mean, you it takes mentioned a village. before, like there's lots of hats that, you know, we're all wearing. Um, and, I, you know, I, I really appreciate you being open about your journey, but 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 inspiring us as well and, and doing it in a way that comes from um, your experience, your actual experience. And it's not just something of like, you know, I'm opening a book and reading, you know, here's the five steps how to do this. Um so actually, you know, it's so impactful for me. I'm loving it. Is there anything that you would leave us with around all, um, you know, the, the, the impacts at the moment? There's many business owners going through challenges. Um, I don't know, anything that, that you'd Baby like to step it. share? Baby step it. <laughs> I think that I, honestly, I mean, who was expecting this? Um, you know, we couldn't. We had a bit of a story where we literally had to close the workshop down and I had to make a decision on how we were going to get through the first month. I, I wasn't even thinking six months. You know, we're, we're, we're going day by day. So, I mean, as you know, I basically cut up my resort collection that was already completely manufactured and here on the racks. I cut 20 dresses up to make masks and I'm so glad I did it. The dressmakers here in Melbourne were so horrified. They actually wouldn't even put the scissors through the dress. So I had to actually make the first cut. But just those, I mean, you know, pivoting, you want to use that word. But just taking the, just pushing forward. We've got to find ways yeah. to keep going. It's not going to end here. So we have to keep going and we're just yeah, going to keep no. thinking about the next step. But Mel, also on the same you know, on the same page, I also am not someone that really plans for years down the track. I really don't. I used to and I told you I wrote a business plan for the, the business and uh, literally I lost 40 kilos in the week that I'd finished the business plan and then 
that didn't exist. So I do think about what is the next move, but probably season to season now, you know, and I just feel like we don't have to have the mega plan. I feel like we can just plan short term and then, you know, just step through it. And, you know, every day is hard. But I like but that. You know what? Yeah, you're showing up, and the short-term planning, like that, is that is the world we are living in now. It is. So I know piv- pivoting's been overused, happened. and agile's been overused. And one final thing, I, I just wanted to. I love the fact that um, innovation and entrepreneurship has been carried down generations in your uh, family. And your son started his own business. Uh, sure. What age was he and what's he doing? Okay. So he started the business in 2018. He was seven. And we had a conversation. He's now nine. We had a conversation. We were talking about at the time, both my partner and I both had our own businesses. My partner's now employed by someone else. But we were talking about business in general and we were saying, oh, what could what could you do? You know, Tom, what would you do? And, oh, you know, he was going to sell artwork and all this sort of stuff. And somehow we were talking about food and, you know, nostalgic food, things that bring back really good memories that make us happy. And so long story short, we got to the point where we decided to start a business that is now called Crackle Kid. And Tom makes chocolate crackles. And every Saturday morning, Tom and I make the chocolate crackles in production. And we offer a deluxe crackle where it's got different flavors in it, like raspberry or marshmallow or Snickers. And then we do your classic. And literally, we take orders over the week. And then on the Saturday, we make and we deliver them. And that's his little thing and this kid's killing it. <laughs> and he doesn't even like chocolate crackles, which is my favourite part. So he doesn't eat his production. I have to taste test. Um, but I love it because, again, like last, last Saturday he worked eight hours and I don't think kids should be doing that. But sometimes if something rubs off on him, that, that's I want to support that. My mum supported me with Rebecca Thompson. I really want to support this because – He's super keen to buy a McLaren car. And if you want a McLaren car by the time you're 18, then you've got to work hard. And I just want him to realize that you can also make $10 into $100 and that even when things are bad, there's a top. You can get better. It can get better. So that's his business. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, Thanks for showing up. Thanks for all your beautiful things that you make. Thank you for wearing them. I have many actually here with me right now in my wardrobe. And um, (laughs) I hope they bring me joy and I hope they last and that is the point. You know, I hope they're forever pieces. Some of them I've had for a very long time and I always get compliments and they always bring me joy. And I'm going to find a way to put them on because I haven't been wearing them enough recently. But thanks so much, Beck. Love your story. Love the inspiration. And I'm sure many are going to take some inspiration from what you've said today. And let's just keep showing up, everyone, and enjoy your growth. Thanks so much for listening. I'm very excited as we build this growing community of growers 
And I'd love to hear your feedback on anything you want to hear more about people that you think would be great for us to have a chat with. Please leave me some feedback or if you want any support, use the functions via the podcast or the email, the Facebook group or the Instagram, all of it in the notes. I'd love to hear your stories. I'd love to see your pictures of you growing and what you're working on. Please share the podcast and review it in iTunes as we build this community. Thanks so much.